Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. I'm your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 49. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like, was Dr. Cox the MVP of Scrubs? The desperate need for a 2020 West Wing reboot? And what top-end hairstylist did Blade trust enough to get his fade maintained so consistently? I mean, he's a vampire. Who did he know that was just had the hookup on hair? No quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. A buddy of mine called me yesterday and he demanded that I slow down the podcast output so he could catch up. And I just thought, slow down. So my response to you, Darren, is this. Over my dead body. I've had 34 years of otherwise useless pop culture, TV, movie knowledge that's just marinating around my brain pan. And now I have an outlet to release this kind of wild river of opinions. Of course, I'm going to just spew it out of fire hose. This isn't a sink. This isn't a water gun. This is a hose. This is a, this is a wave in the ocean. And the dam has been shattered. And as the Joker so eloquently put it, there's, there's no going back. I'm not, I'm not going back. I'm not putting the, you can't put the uh, toothpaste back in the tube. That's impossible. Plus, I mean, think about it. You got a seven-hour car ride in your future. Bam, I got you. You're bored senseless during a four-hour church sermon, or however long church goes on. I've, I've never been. Uh, pow! Bluetooth earbud filled with max volume will get you through it. Uh, you got mindless 12-hour inventory day. Kablam! You'll be thanking your stars and sun that I, 1950s Ford Assembly lined these podcasts into your world. So there, you're welcome. And yeah, I'm just going to keep doing it. Maybe I'll do two a day. Maybe I'll do three. Maybe I'll do seven a day. No, no, no. Seven's a lot. Maybe I'll do four a day. Four... Four 10-minute rant, quick rants. Nah, I mean, I like, I like the 25 to 30-minute like window. That makes me feel like I described a topic enough. I gave you enough information, but I'm not hammering you over the head with it. It's digestible. You think about it, you forget about it. That's what I want. So I uh, found out yesterday that I'm way more productive in the house when I wear sneakers, you know, inside. And it's kind of, I don't know why, but having my feet encased kind of tricks my brain into thinking I'm about to head outside. And that's a fun trick if you want to try it on for size. Cause if you think about it, you're wearing socks in the house, you feel lazy. It feels like post work when you take your shoes off cause your dogs are barking that kind of stuff. You don't want that sandals. It's too vacationy. You feel like you're on a beach. You feel like, you know, you're just kind of lounging around. You have that weird kind of casual slow step where like the rest of your body's leaning backwards and your feet are kind of just pushing you forward slowly. And naked feet, I mean, you might as well be napping. I mean, that is, that is a bold statement to have naked feet. So who knew footwear was so cru- crucial to productivity? But it is. I'm telling you, try it out. Maybe next week I'll throw on some uh, five-inch heels and see if I start mentally firing on a CEO level. Get some Louboutins, you know, some red bottoms. Mm, it's good stuff. But uh, also, I got some more advice. Uh, when you change the toilet paper roll, remember that beards are cool and mullets are not. So you want to get that TP flowing front forward, not from the back. You want to be classy people, okay? I mean, because we judge, I judge people by their wiping paper etiquette. I've lost many friends simply because of the difference in how we maintained our bathrooms. I even broke up with a girl once, actually, but uh, for that reason. But that's, that's a story for another pod. It's a little, little, little weird. <laughs> uh, but, and lastly, who, I tried a puzzle last night. 
And whoever thought that was a fun activity needs to be taken out back and shot. I tried a 750-piece baby animal, animal one yesterday, and it's impossible. I don't know how people do this or why it's entertaining. First, you got to do the color coordination, you know, putting all the purples together, the reds together. And sometimes the reds and purples, they're not in the same part of the picture, so it's just difficult. And then you got 20 minutes to flip pieces to the correct side. You got pieces sticking to your elbows and falling to the floor. And nine out of the 10 piece combinations that you're trying fail. Like, how does anyone find joy in that? I mean, it must be the same people who enjoy golf. You know, when you get that one good golf swing out of like 100, and you're like, okay, I can keep going. This is, this is satisfying. But I don't want to have a success rate of four, five, six percent. I mean, and call that a victory. I want giant puzzles with uh, three to five pieces. And then, like, the company throws me a surprise uh, party when I accomplish the task. I just want positive reinforcement all day, every day. Just why make things difficult? I mean, life is hard enough as is. Why do I want to rack my brain over something, over seeing a picture that I already have a picture of on the box? It's just frustrating. I'm just not very good at it. And it's just, I think that's what it is. I don't like when I'm not good at something right away. It's like, why am I not excellent at this? But maybe it'll grow on me. Watch, I mean, a month and a half ago, I couldn't talk in front of a microphone and now is all I want to do. Maybe I'll become a puzzle master, you know, a sensei of puzzles. That'd be cool. Get some cool tattoo puzzles. I'd like get some uh, tattoos of puzzle stuff. That'd be cool. But uh, today's exercise was really fun, as opposed to that difficult puzzle I don't want to talk about. So I took two things I loved and I kind of mashed them together to see if they would succeed and kind of get like a milk and cookies combination, or if it failed and I got a orange juice and toothpaste uh, combo, which is gross. Don't ever do that. I mean, don't ever brush your teeth after drinking OJ and vice versa. I mean, I don't think you'd combine the two. You'd be a mad scientist to do that. But uh, so you'll tell me if this works and I'll see if at the end I have an auditory snack or an auditory atrocity. So today we are comparing Big Ten college football programs to characters on the hit NBC show that's also on the, I think the most watched show ever on, the, on Netflix. It's The Office, the American version, of course. And it just felt right because we all adore The Office. And I think 93% of my friends are Michigan alum, alums, alums, <laughs> Michigan alums. And I think Big Ten, you know, they care about the Big Ten. So let's do this. So quick rules. Uh, I kept this strictly to the central cast. So there's no David Wallace's. There's no Jan Levinson's. There's no, I just wanted to reflect the unified central group of casting. And so first, let's knock out the easy, obvious ones, because there's nothing more uh, satisfying than unanimous agreement. I kind of want to like hook you in with a couple where it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. So when I stretch it a little later, you're like, well, I believed him in the beginning. So I mean, I'll believe him now. So first, I got Northwestern. I got Oscar Martinez in accounting. So he's the smartest of the bunch, as is Northwestern, you know, the smarty pants. Know it all, uh, but never a leader or someone envied by others. He has the biggest brain in the group. but he shrinks like a like a slug covered in salt when the spotlight hits him. And I feel like that's Northwestern football. You know, they'll go 4-0, and 5-0. You'll hear these stories about Pat Fitzgerald being doing the best with the least and all that. And the, the smart kids at Northwestern, you know, being the most disciplined. And then they'll get, get waxed by, like, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, you know, whoever. Just it'll – it's always a quick – it's a quick dampering for them. And plus, Oscar wears a lot of purple, so I thought it was logical. And I'm curious why he isn't actually their, their mascot. I think Oscar Martinez would be a good mascot for them. What are they anyways? The Wildcats or something like that? I don't think anyone pays attention. So I say switch to Oscar Mar the, the fighting Northwestern Oscar Martinez's 
Martinez is. <laughs> I guess this doesn't flow off the tongue. The Fighting Oscars. There you go. That sounds good. Next, I got uh, University of Iowa, and I went with uh, receptionist extraordinaire uh, Pam Beasley. And if you think about it, she's kind-hearted. She's got this kind of quiet Midwestern feel to her, and she produces a lot more laughs than expected from a soft-spoken, good-looking receptionist. And Iowa always seems to pull off eight to ten wins each year, even though they have two to three star talent. And they seem to they build their talent up. There's a lot of NFL draft picks from Iowa. That's crazy. They have a ton of offensive linemen. I think they had the 14th or 13th pick uh, with one of their offensive linemen this year. They get a bunch of tight ends into the league, defensive ends. They they mold their talent and they like push it forward. Kurt Ferenz is doing you know just a fantastic job with that program. They're getting the best out of the lease. So. Being a reception receptionist at a uh, paper company, I mean, Pam is pretty captivating for someone with such a boring job. You know what I mean? It feels like she's getting the most out of it. And I also thought the fan base, Iowa's fan base is just crazy dedicated. You know, they love the state, they love the football, corn, all that good stuff. And I feel like that fan base love is kind of Jim Halpert, endless love of their wife, Iowa football. Might be a bit of a stretch, but that's how I felt about it. And she, she never takes too many risks. She plays it safe, and that feels right. And Iowa, I don't think they, like, try to sign the four- or five-star big guys, I mean, if they could. And they kind of just – they have a good formula. They're sticking to it. You know, they want to have two kids in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and have a nice, comfortable life with Jim Halpert. Cute, right? Next, I went University of Indiana. I thought Stanley Hudson because both are party animals. You can picture Indiana renting a Camaro for three weeks in Florida, you know, wearing a fedora, smoking a cigar, and hitting on any females stopped at the traffic light next to him. That just feels, that feels Indiana. I don't know if anyone's ever been, but they have this bar called Kilroy's, which it's crazy. So if you look at the top 10 bars in North America, it's, you know, Las Vegas, New York. These are the most profitable bars. So Las Vegas, New York, LA, Chicago. And then in the, in the middle of that top 10 list, it says Bloomington, Indiana. And you're like, is that a typo? It's like, no, this is PJ. This is Kilroy's, which is like a thousand person mega bar. And it's just, uh, I mean, like the people in Indiana know how to party. I mean, I, when I went to Michigan, the best time anyone always ever had was going to Indiana and partying. So they know how to throw down. So, I mean, Stanley likes his crossword puzzles, his pretzel days. You know, he doesn't want to do any work. He kind of, I think he drinks at work a couple of times. He falls asleep. He's just napping. He could care less. And he's not bothered by anyone's instruction. Indiana doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like, we're in Bloomington. We're going to do what we want. And we're going to have a good time. Like I said, they don't care. Indiana doesn't seem very concerned about winning. And Stanley doesn't care about sales. But every once in a while, they'll put up a big score or nail a big client. So it's just that kind of laissez-faire attitude that they kind of just Ferris Bueller their way through life. So props to Indiana. Props to Stanley. This one, I think, is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> Michigan State University, you know, little brother, just boo. I don't, I don't like him. And, I mean, maybe that shows in my choice, but it made me laugh. I went Andrew Bernard because both are seriously insecure with, <laughs> like, high-level anger issues. They kind of brag constantly about things people don't care about. Andy sales, and no one cares about that, or, you know, trust fund stuff, or that the fact that he once went to Cornell, he always mentioned. MSU fans always mention the basketball program. No one cares about college basketball anymore in Michigan State. It's a one-and-done system. And, I mean, when's the last time there was a great Final Four or a great college basketball team? I can't think of the last time I really had fun watching ba college basketball. Maybe Zion Williamson a little bit, but it wasn't, a t it wasn't like the team. It wasn't the greatness. There's not, there hasn't been uh, early 90s, you know, UNLV, Michigan Fab Five, 
uh, Grant Hill, Duke team, Antoine Walker, Kentucky team. Like, where's that great team where they spend two, three years together and you actually love them as a unit? You know, uh, Patrick Ewan, Georgetown dominance. It's just not there anymore. So, you know, Michigan State, just stop talking about basketball. No one cares. And we're talking about football right now. So, Andy is definitely, I thought about this, the number one character who would light a couch on fire if he was upset. And guess what, Michigan State? You like lighting your couches on fire. That's what you do when you uh, don't know how to express your emotions. You need to go to anger management like Andy went to. And they got this intense little brother complex with everyone they meet. Andy's absurdly jealous towards his, uh, his younger brother, Walter, who actually uh, took his name when Andy was five or six years old. He was named Walter, and then they had another son, and they're like, well, he looks more like my, a Walter Jr., you know, someone I could give my name to. So they switched uh, Andy's name to Andy. So, I mean, if that's not the biggest little brother syndrome I've ever seen, then I don't know what is. So that's kind of the Michigan State, Michigan uh, little brother vibes. And eventually, Andy does get to be in the boss's chair. I think it's in season eight, and MSU occasionally wins the Big Ten, but then they get overwhelmed in a bowl game or a Big Ten championship game and blow it. And Andy, you know, blows a ton of opportunities. Eventually it gets fired. I mean, they're just predictable. You know what I mean? Like, no matter what success they have, you're just waiting for the downfall. You know what I mean? It's going gonna, it's gonna to end eventually because they don't know how to handle success. They're, they're you know, second – they're Division two in a Division one world. You know what I mean? They're, they want to be in the higher class of the Big Ten, but you're second tier. You know what I mean? You are – trying to think for a second tier team you're like the university of toledo kind of i mean not that bad but <laughs> but i just don't like you you know what i mean green and white get out of here you know can't read can't write blah okay and this is the school i hate the most this is oh i'm at do i have to say the name all right oh, oh i'm gonna vomit uh ohio state university blah i'm not gonna say the screw that they're just ohio state they're just the school from ohio and i was honest with who i gave for them you know, I mean, this pains me, but I said they're Michael Gary Scott. And this hurts because Michael is one of the best characters on TV of all time. But I got I to gotta pay homage to the school in Ohio. And I, if I don't talk truthfully about why these schools uh, relate to the person, then why would you listen? It's not fun that way. I just can't take my hatreds and, you know, just force something in there. So they're the boss of this conference. And Michael's, you know, the regional manager. So, I mean, they're the highest ranking. So we may mock... Michael's intelligence, his savvy as a leader, his putting his foot in his mouth, and his poor decision-making. But at the end of the day, the power lies with him. You know I mean? He gets to do the hiring and firing. He gets to make the decisions about how they spend the surplus money on chairs or if uh, they're going to get a new copier. You know, he's, got, he's the big wig. And you got to remember, Michael has the best salesman personality in the office. So when I, that's what I equate to wins for Ohio State. Because you can't argue with the results. Michael knows how to close the big deals, like with uh, that guy Cosby, who he kept doing Cosby impersonations with all day. And you're like, how is this working? And then he ends up with a big sale. Ohio State just wins. They're just 10, 11 wins, national championships every year. I mean, national championship contention every year. Uh, this makes me feel sick. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, also, I mean, let's not, let's not forget, though, you know, Michael says some serious offensive, offensive things and is – pretty pretty stupid so Ohio State does that you know I mean you had the tattoo scandal with Ohio State where they were you know selling memorabilia for tattoos and they've had a lot of violations and wins removed and coaches fired and shame so don't don't think I'm rooting for Ohio State I hate them I hate them with a vengeance 
but you gotta you gotta be fair on it i'll be fair and then oh god another one that i'm going through the hard ones right now and uh, university of wisconsin uh I wanted this one for Michigan. It just doesn't fit. You know, it's that puzzle piece, it's like jamming it in and saying, oh, it fits, you know, but it's you actually just jam the cardboard together. So University of Wisconsin, you win. You get Jim Halpert. Again, you know, this is hard. Man, I put I put the hard ones all in a row. I should have spread them out. Yeah, this should have been Michigan, but, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, Jim is just – Jim's the best-looking dude in the show by far. Wisconsin is the best-looking school, and it's not even close. So you got to go with the one hunky person in the office to compare him to. They're consistently excellent. They do their, but they both do their best work when no one's watching. It's like Michigan, Wisconsin will always have like a 7-0, 8-0 season before they play them big and everyone gets excited. They tend to blow the big game. And Jim kind of wilts when the pressure's really put on him. Like when the manager became Charles Minor and Charles started pushing Jim to be better, Jim started freaking out and kind of getting lower and lower in his effectiveness. And both of them should be running the office in the conference by now, but both are kind of too laid back and carefree to be the alphas. And I just don't see them in the captain's chair really ever. I mean, they'll win a Rose Bowl, you know what I mean? Like they'll celebrate, they get good offensive linemen into the league. They have good running backs, good linebackers too, I think. And I think JJ Watts from there too, right? Isn't that right? But Wisconsin, it's funny. It's like, they like winning. It's fun. But when they lose, it's not a big deal. I'll never forget, every time Wisconsin comes and they're, like, nationally ranked, like, fourth or fifth, and they lose to Michigan, they their fan base is the quickest to go from, oh, we lost, like, this is devastating, to, eh, let's party and have fun. They literally, like, snap like that. It's unbelievable. So it's – they have – they don't put all their stock into the football. It's fun. They have a good time. Jump around during the third quarter. You know, it's fun. But if they lose, guess what? They're going to party. They're going to have a good time. They're going to look at each – all the beautiful people there and just have fun with each other. And Jim, you know, has that kind of floppy hair, that, that kind of uh, undone tie. It's kind of the perfect summation of what Wisconsin's attitude. They always seem to land on their feet. They seem like they're good hearted people who can also hold their own in a party situation. And you know, Jim always smirks at the camera kind of like with that knowing look like, Oh boy, here it goes. It's just, that just feels like Wisconsin, you know, they're kind of observing from afar, they're not this dedicated, intense fan base like everyone else is. And speaking of dedicated and intense, this is probably the most one, uh, most in that field. It's uh, Penn State, and I went Dwight Schrute. So this is, I mean, Penn State's the assistant to the regional manager of the Big Ten, if there ever ever was one. I mean, they produce wins, Dwight produces sales, and it's kind of in this boring metronome-like manner. It's like, Conventional values of these old school uniform uniforms, Joe Paterno's 60 style uh, football program, you know, three, three runs in a cloud of dust, that kind of thing. He did that till like the early 2000s, you know, it seemed dated, but he just kept doing it and kept, they kept winning eight or nine games back then. And Dwight has these Amish farmer sensibilities, slavish devotion to his mustard yellow shirts, his brown suits and his calculator watch. And there's just something old school about both of them. You know what I mean? There's something and something Quakerish to them both. And they, Penn State has the most intensive kind of abrasive fan base. And they're quick to defend its honor. I mean, out of all the fights I've seen in the bar scene, uh, Penn State definitely had the most fights. And I feel like there's a lot of maroon 78 Trans Ams in the state college area. You know, Dwight's car. You know, I mean, just kind of this... They think they're over important. They think they deserve the top spot, but they never really earn it. And they're kind of, I don't know, they're just kind of 
always angry and always intense. And The Office is set in Pennsylvania. It's a Pennsylvania-based show in Scranton. And Dwight feels the most local. So that's, that's what it felt to me. And I felt like it was a good match. And next I got, this is an easy one, uh, University of Rutgers, uh, Meredith Palmer. Uh, Meredith and Rutgers, you're, you're drunk. You're low class. You don't care about winning because you barely even remember to show up. Rutgers totally has a fifth of gin in their desk and a stripper son named Jake who has a face tattoo. They'll come home at six in the morning with no shoes. I mean, I just love Rutgers. They just are what they are. I love that they have uh, these food trucks where they have sandwiches that have fries on the sandwiches, and that's like one of the pride, the things they have pride in. God, I mean, what, what a Jersey place. I thought, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, so University of Illinois, I went Kevin Malone, because no one takes you seriously, University of Illinois, and everyone likes you. You know, I mean, you're near, you're near Chicago. Uh, you seem like fun. You seem pretty easy to get into. Uh, Kevin is a joyful idiot who just seems happy to show up and, you know, be part of the group. I think they're just happy to be part of the Big Ten. And they do have big thoughts about themselves. They're a little bit inflated about their importance, but it's based on no actual facts. So we kind of just pat you on the head and let you go on your way. So thank you, University of Illinois, for, you know, all the wins the uh, higher schools get to chalk up against you. And thank you, Kevin Malone, for being embarrassingly funny. You know, you're the fart joke guy. You're the uh, overweight guy. You're the bald guy. You're just you're taking you're taking some L's, but it's for the for the greater good of the team. That's what you both do. Uh, University of Michigan, I mean, not Michigan. Sorry, I'm saving Michigan for last. So, I mean, don't you'll wait. It'll be good. But it, I had to think the most about it. I got University of Minnesota, and I got Creed Branton. And you got to remember, Minnesota won national football championships in 1934, 35, 36, 40, 41, and 60. So back in the day, they were like a big deal. And Creed's they never tell you how old he is, but he's definitely old. He's 70, probably 60 to 80 range kind of thing. It's hard to gauge. He just, he has one of those faces that looks really old. You know, like how Morgan Freeman looks like he was born at age 39 or Samuel Jackson. I can't imagine him being young. And you got to remember Creed used to be a cult leader and the lead singer in a 1960s rock band called the Grassroots. So, I mean, they both have some history to them where they were big deals back in the day, but they're both harmless now. They're both fun. They're easy to watch. They can be great in brief moments, but they always fall with kind of a bonehead critical error. It's like, oh, that's Minnesota, or oh, that's Creed. <laughs> so, I mean, Creed taking over the office as the manager for one episode is the best cold opener in the show's history. He buys a Porsche. He throws the keys to an invisible valet. He calls a meeting where he doesn't actually tell anyone there's a meeting and just starts doing, <laughs> just presenting in front of nobody. And you can't have, but the thing is, Creed's good in doses. He can't have a show about Creed. He's just too crazy. It's too wild. It's just this chiming character that has these great one-liners. And the conference, the Big Ten Conference would explode if it was led by erratic Minnesota. So that's a, that's a good one. That one felt right. Next, I got Nebraska and Phyllis Vance. So best years seem behind both of them. You don't mind taking two-hour lunches and getting plastered with your husband. You're just like, ah, oh, whatever, I'm here. <laughs> You seem generally okay with who you are now, but occasionally you can get crazy and Phyllis blackmails Angela or Nebraska picks fights with old, uh, bigger schools. And they both put up decent numbers. Nebraska wins six to eight games usually, you know, the Scott Frost era, we'll see how it goes. But never leading the pack, never really a threat to take over. They're just kind of, they're waging these B story uh, kind of not important, you know, bland kind of stories that are just in the, in the background. And they're both a little peculiar personality-wise, and you can't quite ever peg 
what their true personality is because I don't know. I've never been to Nebraska. Have you been to Nebraska? I haven't met anyone from Nebraska. What are the people like there? It just seems like seems like a different world. It seems like Mars. Mars is red and their colors are red. So there you go. Purdue, I got Angela Martin. And Angela's the head of accountant accounting. She's just super intense, abrasive, and they both seem more comfortable in the past. Like start church, engineering degrees and conventional boring lifestyles. I mean, Angela wears basically, you know, skirts that go all the way down to her ankles, uh, shirts that cover all the way to her uh, wrists. And I don't know, it just seems like she'd be comfortable in kind of a Purdue-like setting. It's like they're, it's like she runs the accounting department, like I said, and Purdue churns out engineers and they brag about their astronauts. Like they're both math-based pursuits. So they're kind of absurdly proud of these fields that no one really cares about. They're not fun to brag about, but that's what they do. And Purdue fans seem a bit harsh, loud, and upset, and they kind of make lots of noise for minor problems. So the football program feels like the equivalent of a four foot eight woman who only weighs 83 pounds, just kind of barking angrily at people. And they'll get attention, you know what I mean? Like once in a while, they can pull off a big win, or, you know, Angela can change the dynamic of the office with her complaints. But it's not, not often, you know what I mean? Ancillary character. So University of Maryland, we got Toby Flenderson, you know, head of HR, totally forgettable. Uh, just go back to the annex, Maryland. No one wants you. They're boring to talk to or about. It's like watching paint dry. There's nothing sexy about it either. You're not even sure why they're there. Uh, they haven't had a significant win in decades, and Toby hasn't either. I don't think Toby, Toby had a crush on Pam, but I don't think he ever dated her. I don't think he ever dates anyone in the show. And just it, it just seems, you know... It's boring. You're boring, Toby, and you're boring, Marilyn. I'm, I'm bored. I don't even have much more to say about you. You're just boring. No one would care if you disappeared, both of you. Finally, we got Michigan, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Go blue, hail to the victors, all that good stuff. So this was the hardest because I don't want to be biased uh, against my alma mater and you know my sacred Ann Arbor campus. I've lived here 16 years, and I love every minute of it. So I want to be fair and honest in my assessment of the Wolverines. So I saved it for last. And the office character I came up with is, can you guess it? Did you, did you think about it? I mean, I went Daryl Philbin. So he runs the warehouse and later kind of uh, has, an, has a higher up managed role and eventually becomes a sports agent at the very end of the show. So he's kind of intelligent. He's confident. Like I said, he's the head of the warehouse as the show starts at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. He's clearly excellent at his job but he never seems quite to make the rarefied air of upper management, either due to arrogance, a tendency to fail when the lights are brightest, or just kind of, he just, he just blows it once in a while. And he's kind of, he's one of the most consistently hilarious characters, but he does it in this deadpan, slightly elite, elite way that feels very Michigan. It feels, you know, he feels entitled. He feels like, why am I getting passed over? I'm better than everybody else. I've been here longer. That feels very Michigan, you know, the winningest program in college football history. Go blue. <laughs> And also, he hates Michael. You can tell. He just got this disdain and just this kind of deadpan look at him. And he's like, how is this incompetent boob in a better position than I am? It feels very OSU Michigan to me. You know, Daryl being better overall person, thinker, and just, uh, just a general mind than Michael. But Michael's winning the titles. He's grabbing the glory. And he's like, how is this happening? It's not fair. But uh, Daryl's respected in the office, as is Michigan. You know, we're a big part of the success of the conference. We're one of the top I mean, I think it's us and OSU are the kind of money makers for everybody. You know, we're the national brands. No big deal. Man, now I'm getting arrogant. 
And the office would falter without the warehouse running smoothly. So I kind of equated that to Michigan having the best success in the real world uh, workforce because it it felt connected that, you know, the paper company can't work without uh, people having success in the real world. And Michigan has the best real world success out of all the schools. So yes, this feels a little demeaning to my school, but yeah, I mean, like I said before, we're the most winning college football program in history, but we've lost 14 out of the last 15 games against Ohio State. And Daryl occasionally gets drunk at the holiday party on beat wine and smashes a table as he collapses mid-dance move. That's 14 out of 15 losses to your rival, okay? And the one win was the BS year when they had the interim coach. So we really haven't won in a decade and a half. So get it together, Michigan. So this is who we are, Michigan, and you're going to have to deal with it. At least we aren't Rutgers, okay? (laughs) So go blue. I'll talk to you guys later.